Welcome to another episode of the Physically Jackson Financially Stacked podcast. I hope you like my name, Chris. Today, uh, we are very fortunate to have a good friend of mine as a guest who is Dr. Chris Spearman. Chris is probably the best person I know I've ever met in terms of sales, phone closing, and he spent a lot of the last year working with some of the best online businesses in the world, helping improve their phone closing teams, um, drastically increasing their revenue. So today, we're very fortunate that I'm going to pick his brains and ask him some questions to find out ultimately about how you can close more deals, make more money, and make more profit. So thank you for your time. Love it. Thank you, bro. Do I need to be physically stacked to be here? No, but you're financially jacked. So <laughs> and you're also pretty, you've got a bicep vein, so that counts. Fine. Okay, fine. If you've got a bicep vein, you're in, so that's just start. Cool. So, um, yeah, lovely to be here, man. I think um, something, that obviously, we, we spoke just beforehand about, I suppose, the development that I've gone through, uh, you know, when we we coach more people, we learn more. And I would say the amount of coaching I've done, especially in sales, has been has been a lot in the in the last kind of year or two. So happy to to throw it all down and see see if that helps whoever's listening, you, me. Let's yeah. go. To get started, for anyone listening, what was the what would you say is the easiest way initially to improve someone's sales closing skills? So my goal on this podcast is to be as honest as physically possible. As as upsetting as that may be to some people watching. Everyone can get better at sales. If someone was to say, what are the three most important things, the three ingredients that make up an amazing closer? Gifted ability, is, uh, and that may upset people, but gifted ability followed by reps, followed by frameworks. Fr and when I say training is different to frameworks, when I say frameworks, I mean like we can, and hopefully we'll talk through a lot of frameworks. I can give you some frameworks and you can go, oh, that's, I understand that now. And then it's like, it's like playing chess. You know, if you do a few things here, you know, you're going to pull someone into a corner and that's a framework. Training is ambiguous. Like training could be, do you mean reps? Is that like practicing? What are you practicing? So I would say that in that order, unfortunately, I would say, and here's the thing we speak about this you know, often is like you hire an, uh, a person and they look like they're an A-star player. An A-star player never start, starts out shaky, but someone could come in, you think they're an A-star player and they can disqualify themselves of an, as an A-star player. I would say the same can be said for closers in the sense that there's just something, I, I use the term shark and when I'm interviewing and auditing and, and recruiting, I know a shark when I see one and then you can you can give them reps and give them a framework and give them strategies. But I've tried, I've spent an enormous amount of time tried to take very average closers to be really good. And you can make them very good, but I, my opinion is they will never be exceptional. And uh, I think that's shared between Alex Ramosi speaks about this a lot. Um, that doesn't mean, and just, just to preframe, if you're, if you're naturally not good at sales, you can still make millions of dollars without being exceptional. You just need to put in reps and have really good frameworks. And it depends if you're like, I would say people listening to this probably own their own business and therefore your closing percentage is like 70, 60%. If you're a closer and you're listening to this, you're lucky to get 10 to 15. So if you're a great closer, you can go, well, why don't I create a good offer that doesn't need a huge amount of fulfillment and I can make seven times more money? So that's, that's bet. It's hard. It's, 
it would be way harder to get seven times better at closing than just be smart with your skill. Make sense? Hundred percent. How would you? How do you tell if someone's a shark? You know, you My know, shark. Uh, in so many areas, I haven't heard your 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 sales calls. Obviously, you can send me some, but the traits, the traits that are required for a shark, you use. Uh, you've read Relentless. We've spoken about this a lot. That's that's what I mean. And, and if I was to break down what a shark is, it's a natural ability to persuade and say be Weasley, but for for the good of someone, and their relentless desire for success, which you exude. So, yeah, it's a mixture of those. And I think when you when you see someone go through scenarios, you can. You can you can identify that I think especially when you know when you're hiring closers and bringing people in it can take a lot of time and a lot of reps and for example some of the some of the teams that I work with the cost per acquisition let's say the cost to get someone on a call could be two to three hundred dollars so every call that doesn't get closed is expensive so yeah, you can say, I'm going to make this guy good. I'm going to give him reps, but it's going to cost you. So it's then, okay, how much are we willing to lose to train this person up? And we don't have to say too many names, but some of the people I love most who I've worked with who have been in my team have cost me personally millions of dollars. But it was to get them to a point where they can close now 10K deals in, a, in the fitness space, which is, isn't easy. But I lost millions of dollars trying to do that. So, but I knew that was the case. Obviously, I would prefer that we lost less in terms of opportunity. Um, so, I think you know when you see a shark. You know when someone walks in the room, when someone sits in this chair. You know that there's something about them that makes them successful. Um, I would say, you know, put a put a sprinkle of, you know, the people at school who could always get into trouble but get out of it. That's that's a a good metric for success as a closer initially. Do you think there's a big difference between two people who are good at sales and good at marketing? I would say I would say they can be completely different things. But if you know sales, you can be very good at marketing. Um, what I mean by that is, and I would say your 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 marketing has always been incredible. So there's there's parts of of one that you can bring into the other, and I would say that. Um, I would say one of my skill sets that is probably up there with one of probably my areas of genius that, that comes into this is is actually offer creation. Maybe even more so than the ability on the phone, but I'll take the compliment that you gave me. And I, and I, I would say I'm in the top percentile. Offer creation is also really valuable when it comes to marketing. It's like, how can we create something so compelling that it pulls someone in? Because you're still selling. Every time that you put a podcast out or you do something on your social media, you're selling my time for attention. And that's that's a sale in a sense. And I think um I think people seeing marketing as a as a sale, everything's a sale. You know, a marriage is a sale, a relationship is a sale, a date is a sale. You're just trying to um present your version of the world. And I would say one of the things that hopefully we'll touch on is is truth. And I believe that on a sales call, I think the closest you can get to the truth, and we'll, that's a big rabbit hole, so we'll go go to that later. Um, I think it's really important that you're on the call speaking your truth. 
and speaking the prospect's truth. I think there's a lot of people who can lie and deceive in relationships and friendships and all of those things, and we all lie. The goal is to try not to lie. The goal is to go, how can I get on a sales call and tell the absolute truth to this human being who needs me? Because that trust that you build with the prospect is everything. You know, if you ask me, hey, listen, we're, we're going to you know, kick this door down and there's going to be some guys with guns, but trust me, we're okay. I'm going to go, like, if I don't trust you, like, am I going to do it? So if you ask me to take a leap and drop five to 10K, I need to trust you. I need to trust you and we can break that down even more. But yeah, I think that's... What's the initial process in the building trust? Great. So, so I see trust as two things. Um, if I was to ask, well, let's try this. Give me the characteristic traits of someone that, that you trust or like, like the, the words that come to mind when you think of trust. Uh, happy, positive, um, enthusiastic. Yeah, cool. What else would I need to provide you for you to feel like you can trust me? Uh, like authentic, like proof of concept, authentic. Yeah, proof of concept, cool. So if you were to break down all of these things, let's say... Um, genuine authenticity. Most people would say when they say trust, they go, I want to trust him. I want to believe him. So, and before I give it away, imagine that I said to you, Charlie, like that door is blue and we've known each other 10 years. And I would hope that 99.9% of the time you trust that I say the door is blue, right? What if you found out I was blind? So that's competence. That's intelligence. People don't think of that. So if I'm on a call with you as a prospect and you don't think I'm smart, you don't think I understand you, just because you think I'm telling you what I think is the truth, it doesn't mean you believe it. So trust, in my opinion, comes from when you get on a call with a prospect, as a closer, as a business owner, you not only need to show them empathy and compassion and let them feel, I even get goosebumps thinking about it, like that, that they feel that you mean it, they also need to know proof of concept, that you're intelligent, that you're smart, that you can help solve their problem. Because it doesn't matter, you know, what you think if you don't believe them. Like if you ask you know, generally our parents, hey, what do you think about this? Or a friend who like, you're like, hey, what do you think about this, bro? And he tells you, because like, mm, you, don't, you, don't, you don't trust they're competent enough. When you have both of those, you, you can really exuberate trust on a call. I think that's really powerful, but both of those. And how do you get that to come across with the people you work with yeah so what i would say with the i'll give you some 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 phrases so the goal with competence is to show the other person that you're intelligent without without let's say bragging dick measuring exactly dick measuring so you would um the three most important things on a sales call ask questions reconfirm answers and then tell stories so imagine you, the best example of trust is maybe not so much anymore, but historically was, was a doctor's waiting room. You go from the doctor's waiting room into his office, no, ma no matter what script he tells you, you're going to go to the chemist and get it. Like it's not questioned. Why? Well, he's got credibility. You would think he's got credibility. He seems to know what he thinks. You know, I, how would I know? Like he's a doctor. He knows immediate credibility. You said about marketing earlier. Your marketing, your positioning, you know, being on Forbes, all of this stuff, like that immediately gives you that level of 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 competence that, that people go, oh, okay. So saying things like, 
oh, and so, you know, Charlie, when, when you're getting these leads, I assume, you know, not all of them are, are the, the quality that you, that, you know, that you would like to be selling your 5k thing. They go, yeah, I go, yeah, that makes sense. Like we, you know, I speak to people all the time and very common. Do you know what the three biggest mistakes they make are? You're, you're waiting. You assume I know the answer. Now, I shouldn't say that unless I do know the answer. But all of a sudden, you assume I know the answer and I'm going to tell you three things and you're going to go, oh, that makes sense. But it's, it's, it's showing you that I know your problem because you've been on these calls so many times. That slowly starts to build up competence and he understands me. So if you can communicate, we use this in marketing, if you can communicate the, uh, to the conversation that's going on in the prospect's mind, addressing the elephant in the room is probably the most powerful thing. You're probably thinking that, listen, you know, this is the case and you're going to jump into the program and, you know, we're just going to try and sell you on something. They're like, yeah, kind of thinking that. You need to address that. Like if they think, mm, you know, he's only saying that because you probably think I'm only saying that because this. You need to address that sometimes. And I think that shows authority and competence. And then when it comes to trust, I personally believe building a personal relationship with a person on the call is really important. And this would be easier for you because people will know you even if you don't know them. But if you're watching this and you're a closer, let's say you're closing for Charlie. Let's say I'm closing for Charlie. Let's say it's um, seven figure scaling systems and I'm closing for Charlie. I don't care what anyone says. They're buying from me on the call, your system. People buy from people. If I'm not a nice person, I'm not a good person and I'm aggressive doesn't matter what your solution is, there's going to be friction. So I need to bring my personality across. And you've got a, a closing team, an example for them, and I haven't listened to any other calls in a long time, but they need to assess, they need to bring their credibility. Like, hey, like tell them about me. So for example, like, let's say I'm closing for you. I would say, listen, I understand that. I see people come here all the time. It's crazy. Like they do so well, you know, like, you know, I, I tried that before and you know, I'm from rural Ireland and things were a little tough and this. I tell a little bit about my story because I want them to understand that I'm a human as well so they can relate to me. And, and you build up a level of, I'm not going to use the word trust because that's what we're explaining. You build up a level of um, humanity with that person and it just kind of entices them and pulls them in. And I think if you if you can have that element of, I really believe what this person is saying, they're intelligent, they know they know what the deal is, and they really care and want the outcome. I just struggle to see how how people wouldn't invest, no matter what it is, provided it makes sense. It comes back to people buy from people again, right? For sure. Like I had this conversation with a team uh, member, a closer of mine this morning, and I said, imagine, so let's just say imagine that you want to solve a problem, okay? There's a problem you want to solve, and you get on a call with me, and you know that I'm one of the best people in the world at solving that problem. And I seem to have a solution that logically solves your problem. Number one. Number two is if you feel that I will do anything, anything to make you succeed, whatever it takes, it's so unlikely that you're not going to jump. And when I say jump, but you have to feel that. And I would, that's, that's why telling the truth is important. You have to mean that. And if that promise is too much of a leap, okay, then the fulfillment team need to deal with it. And the thing that I say with all of the teams that I'm in is like the fulfillment go, you have to stop over promising. And I'm like, maybe, but you guys have to start, start, start fulfilling. And it shouldn't be, it should be a healthy competition. 
Now, you don't ever want to miss sell, but if the fulfillment team need to up their game, so be it. Don't dampen down the sales so they feel comfortable. You both should be elevating each other up to the point as well where the fulfillment team are going to go, hey, why aren't you closing people? We want more people in here. They need to up their game on the call. So I think bringing that personality across is, is so powerful, so powerful. I, I don't think there's one of the first few, I'll give you a tip. If I'm listening to a call or um, a closer says, hey, you know, this happened, I will, in this order, I will go, okay, what was their name? Cool, fine. What did you pitch? Like, what was the price point or the, or the offer? What was the pitch? Okay. What was their objection? We'll touch on that in a second because most people don't give objections. Most people give complaints. That's not an objection. Yeah, listen, that's too expensive. That's not an objection. That's just a complaint. Oh, listen, um, you know, money's a bit tight right now. That's not an objection. That's just a complaint. You're just, you're just moaning about something. You're fine. But that's not an objection. An objection is I cannot physically do this because the, I don't have any money and my money's coming in on Friday. Okay, that's that's something you need to navigate. That's not a, that's not a complaint. That's just a logistical issue. Most people stop at complaints rather than looking for an objection. So, okay, what was what did you pitch? What was the objection? Were they married? Single or married? Do they have children? How many? And I'm not messing. If anyone's watching this, you can ask anyone that I work with. If they can't tell me if they were married and how many children they have, I won't listen to anything they ask me about that call ever. You didn't dig deep enough. Because if, if, if you're married, one day hopefully I will be, and you have children, they will be the most important people in your life. How can you ever trust me if I don't care, if I don't care to communicate with you about the most important things in your life? Why are you running a business? You could say to have status and all of this stuff. No, it's to provide. One day to provide. So if, if they haven't asked those questions, I don't want to hear anything else. Like, I, I literally stop the call and go, yeah, next. So that's, that's a level of intimacy. Smart, right? and I haven't thought about that. But it makes complete logical yeah. sense. Yeah, because uh, let's, if you're selling... And it actually shows you care because you're asking. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, like most people, whether it's fitness or business, most people are doing these things to be better people to look after people, to care for people, to be in, in loving relationships with people. And it, it's also, not in a manipulative way, but it's also a good circle around to, this is why you need to do this. This is why you need to do this. You know, what, I listened to one of my closers this week and he got to the end of the call and he said, your three-year-old son will be glad you said yes and you did this. I was so proud. I was like, because it's true. And that's why when it comes to the truth, it's like, did you mean that statement? Yes. Why would you not say it? You know what I mean? Why would you not? If you believe it, why would you not say it? It's powerful. It's powerful. Would you say too many people are afraid to almost go dig to that level of like intimacy? Yeah. Because, because, well, first of all, if, the goal is to, the goal on a call is to find the truth, and I'm going to write a book in the future and it's going to sell your truth, because through my story, I believe, you know, we've all had tough lives, but I believe that my life has shaped, my my uh, my, my life experience have shaped where I am right now, as it does with all of us, 
And I believe that when you're on a call, the goal is to tell the truth. And the goal is to find the truth first, because you can't tell the truth unless you know the truth. Information gathering on a call is you're trying to find whether this is what that person needs. If it isn't, and someone tries to sell someone on a call, I, I, I will close to not coach them. I'm like, you lied to that prospect. Does that prospect actually need it? Does that person actually want it? So the goal is to find the truth. And the truth on a call is, does this person, is this person's life going to be better off with this program than without? Okay. Almost always it's yes. Is this person going to miss the 5K in 20 years time or the result they could have? If the answer is the result they could have, then the truth is you need to do everything in your power to allow that person to get out of their own way. That's it. It's finding the truth. And if you give me an objection and I don't believe it, most closers will go, what they're told, yeah, I understand. No, no, no. So, Charlie, I, I completely hear what you're saying. Uh, I don't agree in the slightest, uh, but I respect what you're saying and I hear what you're saying. M maybe I heard you wrong. But from what you've said, A, B, and C. Now, from where I'm standing, I still don't understand why that should prevent you or stop you from wanting all of the things in life that are ahead of you. Now, unless you can, maybe you can communicate that better to me, but 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 I don't see that as, as an excuse or, or a reason why we shouldn't do it. If I believe what I'm saying, I should tell you. The goal is to find the truth, their truth, our truth, and if we can do it together. And I would say in life and in sales, and the reason it's going to be called sell your truth is because I think one of the biggest character building skills that you can do and learn is to, to, to try and sell because you will get rejected over and over and over and over again. And it builds up character, but it also allows you to navigate like what's important in life. And, um, and in situations like that, I think people are afraid to get rejected, obviously. So most often people get to the call and they'll give a, like I said, a, a complaint. And most people won't actually handle it as an objection because they don't want uh, handle the objection because they don't want to feel rejected. When you remove the fact that I'm not the important person here, the prospect is, if I need to get rejected a million times or if I need to feel uncomfortable asking you some questions so I can get to your goal, your outcome, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. That's my job. My, uh, essentially, a closer's job is to get <coughs> rejected 80% of the time in pursuit of helping the prospect. And how do you focus on training guys to try and push deeper into that? Is that yeah. just from the process of listening through calls and then constantly reminding them through that? I think um, it's empowering people to, to realize that uh, the biggest, I would say the biggest um, issue that people have when they're trying to sell is they're like, yeah, but I don't want to sound salesy. I don't want to sell this person. If you really believe, like imagine that you're 30 meters underwater and, and you're drowning and I have an oxygen tank. You're going to die without it. Now, it's an exaggeration, but you're going to die without it. I could ask you for a million pounds and I think it's justified because you're going to die. 
right? So if I believe that our service is oxygen and I say to people, you need to put the prospect in a position where they feel like they're drowning only if it's true because they're drowning regardless. They're oblivious to the drowning. It's that analogy that, that Ben used to tell us. You put a frog in a pot of boiling water, he jumps out. You put a frog in water and you slowly cook it up and he'll die. Most people don't realize they're drowning. So if you believe that the thing you have is oxygen, it's never a sale. You're not going to go, oh, I don't want to sell them the thing that's going to save their life. So you just need to change, as a closer, you need to change your frame. And if you don't fully believe in your offer, I would say you've got three options. Maybe two. You find a better offer. Like go to, if you're a closer, like go somewhere else that you believe in the fulfillment or you have an honest word with the, the CEO and the fulfillment team to go, maybe they're doing a good job, but l let me see a little bit more so, so, so I believe that they're doing a good job. This is huge. The two things, and it's an equation, so A multiplied by B equals increased closing rate. Sales skill, conviction. Which one's easier to double? Conviction. Conviction. Right. So if someone, if I say to you right now, you want to double your ability to close, it's a multiplication. You, if you get doubly convicted on the call, either that means that you need to convince yourself, if it's true, that this is going to change their life. Then you need to give them conviction. Imagine if I came to you and said, you are not leaving this room until you give me money. Most people go, you're really set. No, because this person needs this if you believe it to be true. I'm not letting you leave this call without a decision. And it better bloody be yes. Now, if I have that much conviction in what we're selling, I don't feel awkward saying that at all, provided I believe that to be true. If the other person says, well, then it's going to be a no. Cool. Then one of two things happened. It wasn't right for them. Or I didn't do my job explaining why it is. That's it. And I presume you're not having that conversation towards the end of the call. Well, <coughs> the, the, uh, as, as, a, as a map, I would say if you look at a general sales call, the, the three main sections of a sales call, and no one does this right, is first of all, you need to make them problem aware. Then you need to make them solution aware. Then you need to make them product aware. Let's use some examples. If you're female weight loss, and let's say you're four stone overweight and you want to lose four stone, you know you've got a problem. I love women, but a lot of the time they know there's a problem before there is a problem, but there's definitely a problem. They know there's a problem. You don't need to make them problem aware. They want to be better. They want to look better. They're self-conscious. They know there's a problem. The biggest issue with female weight loss is they don't know the solution because there's 20, 30, 40 different solutions. They don't know which is the best one. So if you were a female and you wanted to lose weight and you know there's a problem and you know the answer is keto, I just swim along with this keto program and you're probably going to buy it because you're already problem aware and solution aware. I just now need to show you that this is the best product. So in a sales call, it needs to be chronologically in that order. If you talk about your product before you're convinced that they are in agreement with the solution and you haven't even talked about the real problem, you're done. Opposite would be a, a male executive. You've been on calls with these guys. If, it depends on where you find them, but let's say some, some of our businesses are selling on LinkedIn. No problem, man. 
I'm good. Making millions, doing okay. They think they're perfect. They don't realize there's a problem. And sometimes maybe there isn't a problem. But their ego is preventing them from actually seeing the problem. Completely different demographic. So there's no point even discussing the solution to the problem that they don't think exists or the product that solves the solution to the problem they don't think exists. So you need to communicate the problem. And you can't tell them there's a problem. You need to ask them the right questions. To go. So they lead, lead them to their own problem. Here's one. So imagine you're 46, the average 46, 47, 48-year-old executive in the US. And you can imagine what that looks like. So just imagine you're that person. And you're making, making mills. Everything's great. You're married. You know, you're doing good. You're doing the same routine, such and such. So everything seems to be going pretty well, man. Like, you know, you seem seem pretty happy. Like, you don't seem to think that, you know, maybe I can't help reduce sales resistance. Maybe there's nothing I can do to help you. But uh, let me ask you a few questions and, and maybe we can see. Uh, I mean, you're pretty convinced that I can't help you, but, you know, let, let, let's just, uh, there may be a few things. So, um, it's like push-pull, you're pushing it away, right? Yeah, I'm just reducing sales resistance. Like, maybe you're right. So, um, so would you say, so you're 40, 47, 48? Cool. So would you say that you were in better shape, you're better in shape now or when you were, in, when you were 38? 38. Okay, fair. Um, would you say you're in better shape at 38 or, or, or 28? 28. Okay. So um, you were saying like you're going to the gym, you're really enjoying your routine, right? You're going three, four days a week. Um, you get to the gym, you train, you come back. You're doing some walking every morning just to keep your step count up. Okay, you're 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 you got some supplements. You know, you're seeing you had a personal trainer for a while. If you were to calculate all of that time, you're talking maybe what eight nine hours a week all in, right? Sounds about right. Um, you, you, in your consulting role, if I was to let's say book an hour of your time, how much is that? 500, 600, maybe even a thousand dollars. Like thousand dollars now. Okay. So, so what you're telling me is you're investing eight thousand dollars a week, which is four hundred grand a year, in something that's getting worse. For a decade, so four million dollars worth of your consulting time. So, if if this was Facebook stock, and you know realistically, are you going to be in better shape at fifty-eight or forty-eight if things don't change? 48. You're going to put another f- four mil over the next 10 years doing what you're doing right now. All of a sudden, they're just like, this guy's just blown my mind with simple maths and logic. Because that's how they think. So that's a, that's such a good framework. So it's like, ho- so, okay, but I didn't tell you. I asked you the right question. And I believe the genius is not knowing the answers. It's asking the right question. So if there are only three things that you should really do on a sales call, my opinion, ask questions, reconfirm answers, and tell stories. Well, I'm going to tell a story that's an analogy to the answer that I'm that you give me, that we reconfirm, right? And you reconfirm the answer to the question. The difference between an amazing closer is they just ask an incredibly smart question. So an example would be, Let's say you're um, an executive. Uh, sorry, let's just say you're a, a CEO of a fitness business or a B2B. And they, they want to do the program. Let's say it's seven-figure scaling systems. They want to do it. You know, they're, oh, I don't know, I got, I got the money, but 
you know, maybe they're, they're pretty competent, but they're like, could I do it myself? So, okay, okay, so so we agree that, you know, having systems within your fitness business is, is the biggest problem, right? Agreed. Okay. And so, okay. So, and, and, and we agree that, you know, having all of these systems and showing you how to hire and manage and, and basically do what we did w- would be a really good solution. 100%. Okay. And, and do you think that, you know, you could do that completely by yourself? I know you've been doing, trying to do it for three to four years, but do you think you can do that by yourself? It could, probably could, but it'd take a little while. You know, I, I know you could. And that, that breaks them. They're like, oh, is he supposed to say that? No, no, I think you could, because we did it. Do you think it, you, you would probably get to your destination quicker with help? Yes. No one can say no to that question. That's incredibly, do you think you, do you, think you, would, you could get like, they're not going to say, oh, with help. Because they would say, oh, well, it depends if the help was good. Well, then it's not help. So the answer to that question is always going to be yes. Okay. And be honest with me. Based on everything that you've heard today and everything that you've seen, and the answer to this may not be, this is a good question though. Would you say that we're in the best position compared to most people that understand your business, that have done the same thing to, to help you solve that problem then, to, to give you that help. And, and generally it's yes. Okay. Hmm. So if we could wave a magic wand and so the question most people ask is, is now the right time? Bad question. Okay. So if we could wave a magic wand and you could have the solution to this problem, when would you wave it? Straight away. Right. So that's the same question, but, but I get the answer that I want. When is the best time? Well, there's no best time. So you don't ask that question. So, okay, so you wave the magic wand right now. Okay. Hmm. And, and let me guess, if it was free, is there any reason why you wouldn't be waving the wand right now? No. Okay. So if what we do pays for itself, why would we not do it? And we both know that if any B2B business worth its salt pays for itself. So there you go. And that's just one framework. Uh, that's something obviously that I do with, with with Rudy's team and they do something similar, but it's asking the right question. So I already know, it's like chess, I already know like seven moves in advance. And if you go left and you say, well, to be honest with you, I'm actually looking at this team over here. Okay, cool. And then then you go through that. Like, listen, Charlie could be better for you than us. Maybe, could be. Don't lie to them. Tell them the truth. Could be, could be. But then you you know where you're going. Okay, so someone else is on the cards, someone else is on the table. But going through that framework is useful. So it comes down to just the better question, you know? I like that. The magic wand thing is clever because it it's take, right it takes it forces people down a certain alleyway, right? So humans are not afraid of making decisions. They're terrified of making the wrong one. Making mistakes. The wrong one. So what what you what you want to communicate with them is what would be the wrong decision here? So let's just say we're coming back to that scenario. Could be weight loss, could be a business. Listen, so if you were to make a decision on this, it doesn't need to be now. Would you say it doesn't need to be now? But at some point you'll make a decision. Because if you don't make a decision inherently, that's you saying no. So you're going to make a decision at some point. What do you think would be the worst decision that you could make? Not investing. So not doing it? Yeah. And saying no? I don't, I, I, personally, I don't agree. And I don't believe you. I think the worst decision is stall and waste time before deciding it's not. If I don't believe 
what I just said, I'm a shitty sales guy because I'm lying. I would believe that to be true and then I would say it. If it was true, I would say the worst thing you can do is waste the next two months of focus bouncing around and going, am I in or am I out? If it's not, say no. I used to say this all the time on fitness calls back in the day. And I wouldn't say this at the start because it would increase sales resistance if you do. At the end of the call, I would go, listen, after they've given you objections and you're just going around in circles because you're trying to logically go Solve problems. Yep. I'm just going to be honest with you, man. There's only, there's only three ways this call can end. So we can keep going round in circle, but there's only three things that are going to happen. Either A, you get out of your own way and you realize that this is what you need and we get you started and get you your result as soon as possible. Either B, you go, Chris, this is definitely not what I need. I'm sorry. I like you. You're a nice guy, but this is not for me. This is not what I need. Or you hang up the phone. I'm here all day. I'll keep bringing around in circle all day long. There are the only three things that you can do. You either join because it's the right decision. You say no because it's the right decision. Or you just hang up on me. And what, what you do in that scenario is you empower them to make a decision at least. And yeah, some people will say, listen, that ain't for me. Do they believe that though? Is that true though? Go, yeah, okay, I don't agree with you, but I respect your decision. And your goal is to, you're in court of law, your, your, your goal is to argue your case for them for their, their best interest. Something I see a lot, and I like the saying, it's like on a sales call, someone's always getting sold. It's either the, the seller or the buyer, right? Yeah, so they'll either sell you on their bullshit yeah. or you sell them on your I'm going to speak fiction. to my wife. Or a, a Spouse, spousal objection's a good one. Yeah, there's loads we can go. There's loads of different ones. I think um, you're asking the questions, you go. Uh, I think probably more common one is uh, I need to think about it and I'll... Mm. For, for whatever reasons, okay. I, for finance, I need to think about it. Show you a good framework for this. So I need to think about it as a smoke screen because it's not an objection. There, there, I need to think about it. It's like, okay, so the best thing to, I'm going to use a crazy example, hope you don't mind, crazy analogy. Um, there's four Teletubbies, okay? One of them has stole the cookies, Okay. And I'm going to ask you, was it Tinky Winky, Dipsy, La La Po? Is that it? Yeah, I think so. Cool. So I'm going to ask you, was it such and such? No. no. Was it such and such? No. Was it such and such? Mm, okay, maybe. So what you want to do is you want to find out what the Teletubbies would be. And I think about it. Is it the money? What are the main objections that you would normally get? So it depends what you're selling. Let's say could be spouse, could be money. Could be self-belief or could be time. They're, they're actually the four main ones, right? So it could be time, could be self-belief, um, money or spouse. So all I would do is go, oh, okay, listen, I get it. Um, financially, do, do you think it would make sense? So you have to ask it the right way. If you were to get the result that we spoke about and we look back in time 12 months, do you think it would have, do you think you would regret spending the 5K? No. Right, so that tells me that's a clever way of asking the finances question. But it could be that you don't have the cash flow. <coughs> that's different, but generally that means the value you see in that price. Cool. And, and then you gauge whether you think they have that cash flow or not, or you ask them. And if they say, well, no, no, listen, I, I could make the cash work. I just need to think about it. Cool. So it ain't money. 
Okay. And um, do you think your wife would be, uh, you know, opposed to you doing something like this? Or do you think she would see value in the outcome? Yeah, makes sense. Like, yeah, I don't see why not. But I still just need to go away and think about it. Okay. Um, and if, you know, if there was a magic perfect time to do it, you know, do you think it would be now or do you think it would be better to do it in a few months? Now, the reason I'm doing this the other way around instead of the magic wand is because I want you to say in a few months because then you show your hand and you show me what the objection is. So I'm trying to open the door and go, is this where you want to go? Is, is this the objection you want to give me? So yeah. do you think it would be better in a few months' time? And if you go, yeah, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock in and I go, oh, wh- why is that? But you could go, yeah, no, like I'm happy to get started pretty soon. Okay. And, and time-wise, um do you think this would be either you know the right time or or so so the time would, would now be the right time and then we've got a self-belief okay so on a scale of one to ten if you completely commit to this with our help based on the framework we went through do you think you know would it be 10 out of 10 likelihood of you achieving the goal would it be five like what do you think oh no like it makes perfect sense okay so what i've done there is i've gone through all of the possibles and what what's happened in the prospect's mind is I've actually put them at ease with each one. And then I can call their without, bullshit. Without directly confronting them. Correct. And I don't go, oh, what do you need to think about? Some people teach that. I wouldn't do that. Because you're not disarming them. You're not finding the Correct. solution. Confrontation, not, yeah. Of course. You're increasing sales resistance. I would prefer try and solve those myself because I'm able to. Not, what, what does he need to think about? Immediately that... Oh, I'm being, yeah, yeah. Just go, oh, okay. Because it could be, and if someone needs to think about it, there's only two possible things that are happening. Only two possible things. There is an objection and they haven't told you or don't want to tell you. Or there isn't an objection and they're processing. If I just did what we just did there, I've helped you process. I'm now like, okay, so listen, so it's not, now it's the right time. The money makes sense. Your wife's in, all in you know you can do it. All of a sudden you're like, oh, hmm, okay. So what do you need to think about? And then, oh, well, you're probably afraid of making the wrong decision. Then we come back into that framework. Now, if there is an objection, you just weed it out. So can we we do again? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So (coughs) I want you to think of either self-belief, money, just say money. I'm not going to say the value or the price, but just just either money or self-belief or the right time, or spouse, okay? Think of one, don't tell us. Okay, I get it, man. So listen, you know, 5K for for six months, you know, you know, with, um, you know, CJ coaching it. I mean, it's not cheap. But I mean, healthcare is probably more expensive and, and, and probably the alternative is worse, fair? And I know you probably need to go away and think about it and, and try and see if this is a good fit for you. I wouldn't want you to do this unless you're fully convinced. Yeah, we could get you in, but what's worse for us than someone saying no is someone coming in and not taking action. Respectfully, we don't need more money. We're looking for people who will change the landscape of our of our transformations in our business. So, I mean, financially, you know, based on what you're earning, this is definitely possible. Can you see value in you getting this outcome? Yes, 100%. Okay. 
So, and that's super important because I would never ask you to make an investment that I didn't think either you could make or made sense. Um, do you think your wife would see value in that outcome? I'm not sure. Mm. Okay. So if that was the case, do you think it's that she would be wary about you spending 5k on something like this or if you were to press a button right now and you had the outcome that we spoke about, better father, better husband, happier, more vibrant, better fun to be around, more confident, you're not nagging, you're not moaning, you're not feeling down, you're making more money in commission. Do you think it's the outcome she wouldn't like or it's that she just wouldn't want you to part with the 5K? 5K. Okay. And... Let's just imagine that 5K fell out of the sky tomorrow. What would she suggest you as a family spend that on? Uh, vacation. Where? Florida. Okay. Like Disneyland? Yeah, to Disneyland. Okay. I love Mickey Mouse. That makes sense. And would you say that she would say that that's the better decision for her, for the kids, or for you? For her. Interesting. Okay. How often would you say that she prioritizes her happiness over yours and the kids? Now, the reason I ask that is because I believe that you investing this 5K isn't for you. It's for everyone. And I'm just going to be honest. Do you honestly believe that in five years time that you'll look back and you've been to Disneyland before, she loves it, you'll go plenty of times again. Do you think you'll look back in five years time and go... We should have gone four times instead of three. Or all of the things we spoke about that are going to make you a happier father, husband, and leader will add more value to everyone's life. All we've done here is identify that your wife's selfish needs, according to you, are more important than the outcome of what we're speaking about. Now, this is possible. On a scale of one to ten... How confident do you think she is that you'll actually get the result? Because that's that could be why she wouldn't want him to spend the money. Three or four. Right. Oh, get it, man. So listen, why do you think she doesn't think that you'll achieve it? Have you tried stuff like this before and just not really follow through? Or Yeah, I've tried numerous programs before, but I can never stick to it. Okay. And well, first of all, that that's worrying for us because... If we thought that was going to happen here, we wouldn't want you to join. How, how could you convince us, convince us, that that's going to change now? Is it like you're really, and now what he has to do is sell himself back in. But to be true, he still has to give us an honest answer. Because if you cannot convince me, I'm a shitty guy if I take 5k off you and I don't think that you're willing to do at least sufficient to get a result. Either you're going to give me the same old excuse and then I'm like, yeah, no wonder she's not going to, or you're going to say, no, it, 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 it really is now. So I'll let you decide what you do there. But why is, why is now different? Because I've had enough and I want to prove that I can do it. Do, do you mean that? hundred percent. Why? Because I'm embarrassed of constantly failing. Uh, it's not for me. I'm not married yet and I don't have kids yet, but I know the man and the father and the husband that I want to be. And I would say this to be completely honest, you know me enough to know that I mean this. It's not for me to say how you should be in your relationship or your marriage or your house. But I can tell you for certain how I want to show up. You can say that man to man. If it's 
man, woman, it, it's different. But I would say that man to man, I'll go, I know who, who I want to be and how I need to show up. And what you just said there to me is the pinnacle of what makes a man a man. This is what I am going to do. And you do it. Because how often do you say to your wife, how often does your wife go, yeah, you can go if you want. She don't mean it. Because women don't always mean what they say. But they assume that men should mean what they say. Because we're different. So if you say you're going to do something, going to take the bins out, baby, no worries. And you don't, what does that tell her? Yeah, for her through with anything. You can't, you're not competent enough to provide. How can some, think of it genetically. How can we saber tooth, kill a saber tooth tiger and come back and look after her if she doesn't feel like she's being looked after and protected? So this guy is now coming into the call going, no, uh, it's got to the point now where I really need to do this. So then I come in and go, I get it. And that's exactly how I would be. Why do you think that wasn't the case before? And then you would dig in and like, why and this and that? And you go, why is now the right time to change? We're not now talking about you changing your life. We're talking about your whole dynamic in your family of actually standing up and, and stepping up to the plate. It's so powerful. And obviously that's why I want to do this in the future is because you can enable people to do that. So I would say, so the way I see it is you have two options. You either don't do this you fall back into the rut of maybe finding something else and maybe doing it half-assed and yeah, find a cheaper option. But less accountability, less probability of success. Or you make the change that you're speaking about. By the sounds of it, she doesn't believe in you. She doesn't trust you. She doesn't trust that you can execute. That would kill me. And I can feel in you right now, that's what you want to change. You have an ability to change the landscape of your relationship with your wife. That's deep, like that's even emotional. You have the ability to change the landscape of your relationship with your wife in this moment. You're not making a promise and a commitment to me or the program. You're actually making a commitment to yourself and your wife. Look at what just happened. You're telling me that your wife is the reason why you shouldn't and now it's the exact reason why you should. And I haven't manipulated you, I've told you the truth and I've spoken to the truth. And the truth is that that's what that guy needs. It's so powerful. It gets me emotional because it is so powerful if you believe what you say. So sell your truth. And right now, I'm speaking to your truth, whoever this guy is, I'm speaking to his truth. And you could very likely, you've seen so many people change forever. That conversation could change the trajectory of that person's family's life. Legit. Goosebumps, man. It's crazy. Why do you think so many people's sales skills, they struggle with it? And they don't have the effect to be able to get people into that state. Um, we may not go into a huge amount of my childhood here, but I would say that growing up the way I grew up enabled me to feel empathy from people and even really buy into someone. Ben Pakulski said this when we were in Colombia. It's like 6.30 in the morning, woke up groggy, sitting out in the balcony, just meditating, and he goes, Oi, Spearman, I know your gift. I just woke up, bro. Give me a second. Jet lag. Got coffee, came out, and he said... Your gift isn't getting people in shape and your gift isn't helping people grow their business. Your gift is speaking to another human being. Mike Reed said this as well. Your gift is speaking to another human being and allowing them to realize their potential. And that's all I was doing there. But I have to feel it. And to do that, you need to be empathetic. You need to care. You need to love. And the best, the best frame that I have ever communicated to someone when you're on a sales call, I want you to think of someone that you love. Wanted someone that you love close to most in the world. 
And I want you to imagine that they have a child that you didn't know about. Now, forget that that may be awkward, but you need to imagine. Imagine that you just found out tomorrow that they had a child that you never knew about. And all of a sudden, forget about where did this come from, but just imagine that they're there. And that child is sitting on a bench and that child is a boy or a girl. They're being seriously bullied in school. And you sit over next to that child. You would take a bullet for that child because of who their parent is. But it's a stranger. That's the connection. That's the relationship you need to have with someone on a sales call. They need to feel like that child does, that you will do anything for them. You'll tell them the truth, even if it's difficult. You'll address an elephant in the room if it's there because you want the best for them. But they're a stranger. That's the exact empathetic relationship you have with someone on a sales call. And I would say most people don't allow themselves to get that deep. They don't allow, they don't, they don't know themselves um, well enough to, to allow that to, 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 to flourish. Now, imagine that I had that call with you or a prospect. Does that person buy into me as a human? Has that person heard about what I want? Does that person resonate with my truth? Does that person know that I want the best for him? And does that person know that we have a solution to his problem? Yes. So I would say stepping into that stepping into that realm. Now, some people don't like doing that, and I get that. For me, it's it's everything. It's everything. You know. How do you then work on training that into teams of people to teach? To so implement. Right. So every time a call gets recorded, I'm like, are they married? Did they have kids? What ages were they? Did you ask those questions? And, and just becoming more and humane. Do you think that matters regardless of the offer? B2B or B2C? Give me an example of one where that wouldn't matter. Yeah, no. So if you were to say point. B2B, oh, so what do you want? Why do you want all this money for? Right. Of course. I can't think of a reason why. Because if it's important to you, it's important to, to, to your loved ones. Financially, emotionally, or, or spiritually, or, or health-wise. And in terms of training your teams, how... Like the people you're working with at the moment, how yep. frequently would you recommend training teams or training closures for anyone listening to this, like meeting cadences, stuff like that? So give me an example of um, maybe a, a team size. So you're a team of 10. So if it was a team of 10, I would break them into two pods. That doesn't mean you don't have one person overviewing them. I would break them like a, uh, like a SEAL team. You know, Bedros Kulin used to sleep with a slot. Yeah, I would, ta- I would go either five and a leader or four and a leader. So uh, very often with the teams that I work with, I'll take uh, like A team, B team, C team. Really? You let them know? Damn right I let them know. Yeah, you're in the C team, bro. Like let them know. Yeah. So you put all the best together. Uh, well, they, they, will, they will all have trainings together, but you have them in different pods. But would you pull the best people into the same team? Or? I want, yeah. Well, the, the way I see it is they can have access to the recordings. Uh, everyone else can have access to the recordings of them. And they all have access to, to me to coach them. I want them to know where they are in the pecking order. If that doesn't bother them, there's an issue. Relentless was one of the best books I read for that. It allowed me to feel accepted for the first time in who I am. You sent me a video the yeah. other day. It allowed me to realize that it's okay to be really, really, really competitive. It's okay to be weird. It's okay to be strange. <coughs> but it's also okay to try and bleed that into your team. So to the point where I'm like, okay, let's see let's see who's got the best closing percentage this week. And top dog who's been here five years. I'm like, well, if, you're, if you're, you know, your cash per call is not, not the highest, why should you get the best leads, right? And it's, it's that competition all the time. So I would say if it was me, I would go, let's say two, two pods. That doesn't mean that you're not the pod leader for both. So let's say you give me a team of 10 closers. I'll put five in one group, five in the other. 
I may, I don't know them well enough yet. So let's just split them up. Maybe split them up according to time zone. They may be in the same place, but let's just say you've got some remote and in-house. Cool, split them up. And then after a while, I could do remote and in-house if that makes sense. And sometimes it does. Or it could go, no, this is the A team and this is the, the rejects, maybe. And then you've got another team that you're always pooling. I would go daily meeting, hands down, like a daily, even if it's a huddle, daily huddle, Monday to Friday at least, generally without disclosing too much. um, One of the teams that I work with, we have an operationals call once a week, and then we have uh, at least two trainings on two different elements. One could be a training on like free flow objection breaking where objection come through, and one could be frameworks. But what I would say also is probably... The most important, and you would have one-to-ones or could have one-to-ones, but something that I do if I had pods is I would get even at at a minimum, even if you want to scale the coaching, I would get each closer in say pod A, five of them, to give me a recording that, and of course I'm spot recording anyway, I want you to give me a recording every Friday of a call you should have closed and let me listen to it. And all we do, then let's say they can all listen to each other's if they wish. So I'm going to listen to those, even if I just listen to those five, come around to the meeting the next day and go, right, I'm going to dissect in front of everyone. So we're going to jump into that call. So imagine that it was that guy and it didn't go right. I'm going to jump straight in with the closer and go, I'm going to be you and you're going to be the guy. And I go through what that person should have said. The person's like, that makes so much sense. You've listened to Closer Survival Guide? Yeah. yeah. There's only so many times you hear something you're like, oh. It's just, it's like a, it's like, it's like a computer game. Oh, if I remember where I'm going now. And it's like that. It's like, I remember where I'm going now. So when you're in a call, you're like, okay, this is the framework here. And you just remember that. So I would go, that would be a really good scaled way. Listen to a recording of each closer and then go back through even on a group call. And you really quickly go through with each of those five. So ideally you would have maybe, let's say, um, you would have an operationals meeting a week, maybe two trainings, and then you would probably have a pod huddle where you have a, a huddle. Because what I realized is if you have 10 closers on calls, that's great. But what's actually really useful with a huddle is getting the other closers to communicate with each other. And I just sit there. Tell me what you're seeing. Oh, I see that too. It's not just me all the time. What if we did this? Yeah, that's a good idea. And I'm just listening going, I'm just now just moderating just the conversation. Yeah. And that can be really useful. That was that was more valuable than I thought it would be, is just to listen to what they have to say. They're communicating. They're, they're obviously taking calls too. It depends on the, the type of the call and the offer too. What would you do when you had new fresh closures come in? Yeah. Yeah. So into the C reject team. Cool. So the goal, as far as I see it, is there's a certain amount of fish in the ocean and the goal is to weed out the worst fish as quickly as possible, without saying. So if you know that you need a closer, you're going to go look for a closer. If you know that the closers that you have aren't good enough, sooner, you'll go and find a better closer sooner. The bottleneck is always bringing people in, training them up to a standard to realize they're not good enough to drop them off. It's always the way. The quicker you can shorten that cycle, the quicker you can shorten it, with the least amount of energy from the team also better. So you want to create like a dashboard or a training, uh, an updated training cycle, like a membership site. Like a jobby course or something. I've been through some team's sales courses that they give to their team that's better than anything I've paid for. Serious. 
I'm like, whoa, this is better than, won't mention who, but is better than some sales courses. This is just for their team. I would say, the without mentioning who it is in case get in trouble, the one that we spoke about, I would say that his closers go through a better training than the one he sells. Do you not think? Mm. Right. Do you not think? Of course. So having one of those that is tailored to your offer is important. So this is something I'm going through now with, with Rudy is we're building out, and I'm, I've been tasked to build out the accelerator for the closers when they get hired. Go through this. These are the things I want you to do. This is what you have to do at the end. Spit it back to me. And then let's say you take a pot of 10 in C. Okay, five and five A and B. Let's get 10 in C. Cool, guys. Uh, half of you won't be here by the end of the month. Let's go. Show me who's willing to put in the work. Here's a document. I want you to write down every sales book that you're reading. Show me who's willing to work. Show me who's willing to learn. Show me who's going to show up to all the meetings. Then show me your calls. And then you drip feed them a few calls. Low-hanging fruit calls. Shouldn't they get? No, they should get the worst leads. Cut your teeth. Sabri Subri, who, who was here recently, um, trying to rope me into doing some stuff, managing sales team. Uh, he'll get people to do 200 relatively cold aisles. Yeah, start off just dialing people. Start off setting. Just cold out loud. Um, you could say cold, but from your, let's say, let's say. Like Facebook lead ads, for example. Even colder than that, bro. Like go back to CJ coaching from 2019 in the archive, the people who booked a call way back then. Dial them, dial them, dial them. Go, yeah, show me. So uh, 200 dials a day or two hours of dial time, uh, call time. So you either do 200 dials a day or 200 hours on calls. That's your KPI, Monday to Friday. Stefan, who we know, he did that in, in two hours. He had 140 dials himself. He's making a quarter of a mil a month. He's still dialing. And he did that to show the closers, this is what you should be doing. This is how you do it. So that would be a good way that you could be getting them going back. And what they're doing then is, is cutting teeth. Then you see who's willing to do 200 dials. If someone's like, oh, I got 60 done today, another person got 180. If the, the guy who did 60 is going to have to be so much better for me not to, not to pick the other guy. You know Lower numbers, right? And, and the reps are going to get them there anyway. You know, So from a sales team, that's, that's, that's kind of how you do that. And then tear it up from there. Do you think most calls should be a two call close? The triage call. Great question. Um, the answer is, to that question is no, that definitely not. Um, so, really good question. So, the framework. So, imagine most people do one part close to start, and then some people do two part close and say, okay, so when should you do a two part close? What well, what I would say is, if you're not taking if you're not if you haven't uh, let's just say someone's uh, selling something give me an example of some of the guys that you work with what they're selling on a one-part close when they when when they either come to you or when they get started uh say they're selling a 12-week program for two and a half k okay if you're going to do a two-part close you better not be selling the same price point because your time yeah you're doubling the time unless you want to improve significantly your closing percentage that's the framework so if you're going to do a two-part close, it's only to either significantly improve your percentage or increase the amount of money that you get on the call. That's it. And is that with the thought process the client has more trust in you after the second call? So the second call. So so mainly. 
it comes back it comes back to the decision making so people are uh, let's imagine someone comes into your life um let's say the gentleman that just left and we're talking about him going on a date with some girl um so george armstrong anyway <laughs> dubai's womanizer he wasn't talking about russian women was he um get me killed um so you meet someone and they seem amazing they seem awesome but you don't why wouldn't you marry them right then because you want to you want time so they disqualify themselves same with relationships same with a players they come in they could be an a player looks like it but let's see if they disqualify themselves the reason is we're inherently looking for a, a reason when we see something great we're looking we should be looking for a reason that it isn't great and if if we can't find one that's a pretty good result can't find anything wrong with this girl can't find anything wrong with that guy can't find anything wrong with this pitch seems great so all you're doing when you expand the time horizon is you're allowing them time to find a reason why they shouldn't so when they get on the second call and if they don't have one they subconsciously realize i can't think of a reason why i shouldn't whereas if you just jump on a call and i try and pitch you in 45 minutes you're like i'm not supposed to find a reason that quickly i haven't even processed the information that doesn't mean on one part close there's ways to navigate that but my point is the exposure that you have to that person we spoke about uh 2021 i had an offer similar similar business it's not there anymore but i had sev- i had 73 people on a second call and i closed 73 people now there's maybe 90 people i got on a first call and we didn't do outreach so they're very warm people i got about 73 people on a second on a second call close 73 out of 73 people now it was a self liquidating offer yes but so the amount that they needed to buy in wasn't enormous it was significant 73 people said yes but it was the way i structured and went through the process so hopefully if you've watched or listened to the podcast you know i know a few things so imagine doing that with a group of people that you really 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 believe you can help but you've got a longer period of time There were people that before I even pitched the price stopped and said I would say maybe close to a dozen people either said or confirmed by the end of the second call I had given them more value than any mentor had ever given them in the two calls not in terms of like scripts and obviously in terms of the way they should look at business very similar to the logic that we used to break down this call or 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 any call and they were like that makes so much sense you can do that better over a two part close so it would depend on the strategy but i give you a re- so for example fitness business that i'm in the process of selling we went we we used to always organic do a two part close and for various reasons you would still do so we had um we were toying with um some paid traffic and um there was a, a and and cold dialing so we were scraping lists and cold dialing and and setting people and we we had a lot of leads coming through and a lot of booked calls being booked in the calendar and wade was taking two part calls all the time um there was because they weren't that warm and i would say constructively the diagnostic call wasn't done well enough the and they were very busy people the show up to the game plan the second call was quite low so we're not going to get a second bite at the cherry so we restructured the whole thing to create a deck that pitches them 
first quarter. True story. And when we did the math, um, our main closer could close 11% of the people and we could be 2x profitability. Now, that's because of the offer and the position and his closing percentage and all of those things. So I'm like, right, why would we run the risk of letting them leave? The challenge there is, okay, so we need to decrease the price point a little from 10K, 7.5K. Let's just do 4997 and let's just try and get more people through while we have them. So it depends on the offer. If I was doing a B2B offer, it would be rare that I would do a one-part close. It would be rare. It would be rare. The reason why you wouldn't, obviously, is that it takes up more time. Size the investment? Of course. But also, it takes up more time for the closer, and then you need more closers on your team. If you know that you're running traffic to an offer and you're making profit, scale it. Just scale it. The goal is, you know, the difference between a, maybe going to more business, but the difference between a 0 0.9 ROI and a 1.1 ROI is zero and millions. It's, oh, yeah, it's positive cash flow, right? You, you lose your money, you make your money. Yeah. It's black but, and white. But you scale it, you end up at zero or you end up with millions. You know, so uh, maybe that's, that's for another day. But um, one thing I would say, though, is when you're doing a two-part close, Let's say if you're listening to this and you're going from a one part to a two part. This, the first call is the hardest of the two. Hands down. Hands down. Here's why. When, especially when you're training a closer. Well, before we get there, imagine that you... Uh, imagine... Uh, what's your, who's your favorite Avenger? Uh, the Hulk and Avenger? I don't know yeah, yeah. Or Batman or yeah, Superman. Yeah, or yeah, Superman. 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 Cool. Let's just say your partner wants a superwoman dress, okay? Would you go to a superwoman fanatic and ask and try and teach them how to make a dress? Or would you go to a dressmaker and tell them that you want Superman on, Superwoman on it? Yeah, dressmaker. Of course. So when you're bringing closers into your business, you want to go for closers and teach them your offer rather than find people who may be okay and, and, and teach them the thing. So when it comes to bringing someone in who can close... If I put a good, decent closer on a second call, they just need to know two things. The offer and navigating objections. Any closer can learn the offer and navigate objections within reason. The diagnostic, the first call, that's very difficult. Here's why. The majority of that call is problem solving. And if you don't know the industry or the business, it's very challenging. So... I would say when you get on a call with someone for seven-figure scaling systems, you're consulting them on the first call or the first part of the one call if you do one. You're consulting them because you have to show them that... You well, have the knowledge. Well, often they know the problem. You need to convince them on the strategy or the solution that you think they need to solve the hole in the, in the bucket. If they don't buy that, they're not buying the product. So problem, solution, product. So that's actually the harder call. The first one. Because if they're not fully bought in on that call, then you get on the second call, there's, yeah, yeah, just show me what the price is. You know? And if you can win them on that first call, or if you do in a one-part close, the first part of the call, they need to be bought in. For sure. For sure. For sure.
Do you think that's where most people go wrong is they fuck up the first call then? In a two-part? Yeah. Um, well, they don't get enough buy-in from that. I would say almost always. So um, I think I'm allowed to say this. Uh, I'm training uh, Jordan Belfort's, some of Jordan Belfort's closers, which is mad. He's the king of closing. Um, and one of the things that we've been doing with some of those calls is there are three things that happen between the first call, at the end of the first call, to the second call. Three things need to three things need to be set in place. He, he writes about them in his book, right? The Wolf of Wall Street. He's thirteen. Yeah. What's the products? You and the company. Yeah. So the, that's the three the three things that give them certainty. So when you're on the end of the first call, you need to know three things. I, I see happen. Number one is you need to know what you're going to pitch them on the next call. Top tier product, say beta product. What price points? You need them. You need to know what you're going to sell them. You need to um, figure out what's the biggest reason they wouldn't join. And the third one is you need to have given enough fire that their subconscious mind sells themselves this the product between the two calls. So you need to drop enough seeds so they're subconsciously selling themselves on the, the thing that you're about to show them. Powerful. Powerful. You mentioned Jordan Belfort, obviously I mentioned the book there. Is there any other books or literature you mentioned in terms of like, you mentioned you like your sales closers to constantly reading and learning. Is there anything you recommend for people or how much they should be reading or learning? So um, I would say um, $100 million offers, although it's an offer book, and there's a hundred million dollar leads, and there's going to be a hundred million dollar sales. I'm sure the sales is going to be better for selling, but the framework in the offer thing is incredible, and the value equation. So, probably one of the most important um, equations to look at as a framework is if you want to um, increase the the offer or the likelihood that that person's going to buy, you want to have um, the result, so let's say six-pack abs, multiplied by the perceived likelihood of them achieving it. Below the line, you want to decrease the time it takes to get the result and decrease the sacrifice. Now, your goal is to communicate that the time will be as short as possible and the sacrifice is going to be way less with you. The result is six-pack abs. The biggest question mark is over how likely are they to achieve the thing. So imagine, now just think of... Um, Maybe not your friends' mums. Maybe um, the average woman in the UK in her 40s. I'm on a call with her. Is she going to pay me 5K for coaching? Health and fitness. Probably not. Unlikely. Imagine that I said, here's a button. If you press this button, you will have your high school weight in an instant. Just give me 5K. 95% of women will fall over themselves to press the button. What's the difference? Certainty. The, the perceived likelihood of achievement. That's why women will choose surgery. No time, minimal sacrifice. Okay, it's quick recovery, but minimal sacrifice. The result's the same, guaranteed. So your goal in this equation is to try and make them so convinced they will get the result. And you said it, Jordan Belfort breaks it down perfectly. There's only three entities do you not think that we 
can get you the result? Do you not think our system is what gets people results? Or do you think it's you who won't be able to execute? And almost always with weight loss, it's them. With most female prospects, it's them. With most male prospects, it's them, but they will say, I don't know if I have the time. I don't know if I will be willing to do it. Because they're successful and they don't want to say that they won't achieve it, but they're like, my circumstances probably won't allow myself to achieve the thing. Smart. One last question question for you. When it comes to managing sales teams, when you have sales closers going through a slump, how do you manage that when people, like maybe their confidence gets knocked and they've had a couple of shit calls in a row? Yeah. That's, I think... um, Because that's a roller coaster sell. Sometimes you get that, I think the one thing that you find with closers is they're emotional people. Like, it's an emotional role. Um, It's crazy, you know? Like, it's such an emotional... Because it's... If it's such an emotionally challenging thing anyway, I would say that um, your goal when someone goes through a slump is to weed them out of the slump as quickly as possible. And a strategy sometimes that we will often do is go, listen, you're struggling here, 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 and here. Let's dissect the issue, let's communicate the issue, and let's give them some training and build their confidence up on a few things. The easiest thing that they can do is to be proactive and do follow-up on people they should have closed and get some small wins at a lower price point. Bring these people in on a few hundred dollars a month or do this and get some wins under your belt. English analogy, but just get some singles in cricket. Just just bat a few in. Build up that confidence and come back to it. But what I wouldn't do, and let's say if there's a business owner watching this and they're closing for their fitness business, they're going to then decrease the price of their offer. I understand that. And then they lose confidence in the offer. And then they lose confidence at a cheaper price point, and that can that can snowball too. My suggestion is that you go to follow up leads or current clients or exco uh, or renew, uh, renew or people who've dropped off. Get them back on at a lower price point. Get some wins in. And we had we we called him a shark, not because he had shark like qualities, but because we said, hey, these are a hundred and twenty clients. One of your main jobs is just to book a call with any of these current clients anytime you like, give them loads of value, and try and sell them on continuity six months extra at this price. Off you go. Here's your commission. Good commission. Better than front-end commission because I'm like, hey, off you go. Shark. Just you know, find your own food. And I believe as a business owner, and especially you know, if you're managing closers, is you want to encourage people to make their own money and be proactive when it comes back to what is a shark. I think a shark has the, you can tell me no and I'll just find an, another way. Yeah, I'll just find another way. I'll just find another way. So the goal is, is to write that book, which is going to be um, Sell Your Truth. So I bought the domain already, Sell Your Truth. Um, and I'm in the process of virtually created a, yeah, a free um sales course um that people can go through i'm going to build that out over time and then write the book that's going to be a little bit autobiography but mainly framework so sellyourtruth.com smart yeah yeah we'll do another podcast when it comes out yeah man one last question for you when it comes to finding sharks yes where do you go fishing Uh, where do you go fishing for sharks if you want a great white where do you go 
So <coughs> the, I believe this to be true for appointment setters and closers. Finding, uh, okay, so I'm sitting across from you, but your offer isn't big enough for me to leave what I'm doing to join. It's not hard to find closers or even setters. Incredible, it's not. It's hard to pay them enough to leave where they are. You could go to some of the best closers that you've worked with in all areas of life, or even say some of the business owners who are great at closing, but why would they leave a 70% profit deal to work for you for 10? So it's actually not that hard to find amazing closers. It's hard to, it's hard to pay them enough to, to keep them. Yeah. Or to get them to leave where they are. So some of the biggest reasons that people come to some of the teams that I'm in is the, the, the training they get, not just from me, but from other people. So if you can go, Hey, why don't you come and close for us? Just commit to 12 to 18 months with us. You cut your teeth, sharpen your sword. We'll teach you everything you need to know. We'll coach you up, give you world-class sales training. If we need to increase your percentage a little bit for you to come in, that's fine. Or maybe we'll give you someone underneath you and you can manage them and get a percentage of theirs. And then you would approach people who are who are really good closers. The alternative is that you find people who have incredible potential. You know they're a winner. You know they're a shark. Um, and you just teach them a framework and give them reps. That'll take a little bit of time. But I think, um, I think again, comes comes back to the onboarding. If you have a system that gets people up to speed you'll know I would I'd bring people in and I would go like if you hired 20 people today and you put them through a course and then you got them to have a few mock calls at the end you wouldn't need to do much work to those people if the course is sufficient and they can sit in on some trainings you wouldn't need to give them much one-to-one -to, -one to weed out the 15 out of the 20 that aren't great by the end so scaling that is just like scaling fulfillment in your coaching program which one makes you more money? Ironically, this. Yeah. yeah. You know. Makes sense. Thank you, Chris. Good, man. For anyone to find out more about you, what you do, when the book's coming out, which is a bit interesting. Yeah, so I would say the best the best thing to do is to go to sellyourtruth.com. So I have the domain and there's a free course. Um, it's just a Kajabi site, but it goes through a lot of the general frameworks. Um, and then, yeah, I'll have to write the book and, and all of that stuff. So... Um, yeah, catch me on Instagram at Spearman Chris and I'll, I'll be floating around and just doing my thing, speaking the truth. I think just before I leave, I think that's the most important thing is like I realize that um, when you're on sales calls all the time or you're talking about sales, people just assume it's disingenuous. And I would say like the thing to leave you guys with is I would say that I've learned more about life. I've learned more about myself and I've learned more about um, people through selling provided that you believe what you say. I think that's the most important thing. Sell your... Treat your values, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Everyone listening to the podcast, I'm sure you'll take a huge amount of value to this and probably re-listen to it and make shit loads of notes because I know I'm probably going to do that. Uh, so please make sure you leave us a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe and make sure you share the stories, tag it, share everything else you find this be useful and we'll have Chris back for another episode very soon. Thank you. Thank you.